Hey, welcome everybody. Let me say welcome. First of all, welcome to you guys who are here. It is so good to see you. It's good to be with you Sunday. Welcome to everybody who is watching online at home here in San Diego area and spread out across the country. If you are a Momentum family members and in the last few weeks you got Omicron, then we just want you to know we miss you. We love you. I hope you're enjoying this message with a nice brunch today. Just feel free, dive in, all that stuff. Make the best of it, but we cannot wait to have you back. If you're at our outdoor venue, you guys, we see you, we love you, and we're glad you're here. This is going to be incredible. This is going to be one of my favorite weeks of people of rest, but you need to know what's coming up in just a few moments. We're two weeks away from our next series, which is Philippians Masterclass. So here's what I want you to know about this series. We're going to spend like nine weeks going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, walking our way through the book of Philippians. See, one of the bedrocks, one of the things we are building this house on is a passionate love of the Word of God. And, and so instead of just talking about it, we're going to be about it. And so for that series, we're just diving straight into the Word. This book, by the way, is written, it is written, and the theme of the book is how to have joy when everything around you feels messed up. Now, if that is not relevant for 2022, I don't know what is. By the way, let me tell you, that being the case, we've got journals out at the Info Center for taking notes and following along in the scriptures. This would be the day to grab a journal so you have it for this series because we're going to be shredding the word. We're going to be diving in piece by piece, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's going to be an incredible series. But we have two more weeks of people of rest and we're going to make them count. So I'm going to read our verse one more time. We're going to pray and we're going to dive in. Uh, jump, jump into this verse with you. Matthew 11, chapter 28. It's the theme of this whole series. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. God and Father, we just, we just pray as we approach your word that you would use it to fill us today. Holy Spirit, would you just come flying through the Scriptures today into our hearts, filling us, maybe resuscitating us, God, to the point where we are in fact overflowing with your love and your goodness this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was six years old. Somebody had signed me up for soccer. Now, common misconception about me is I did not come from a sports family. So nobody, I'm like a first generation athlete. So I had to find out all this stuff on my own. And we did peewee soccer. I don't know if you guys remember this, but did anybody grow up playing soccer and you had this t-shirt and one side was blue and one side was yellow and you could flip the t-shirt and you'd just find, oh, hey, we're the blue team this week. And so that was the days of soccer I grew up in, had never played a sport, had never had a lesson. And so we would practice on Wednesdays, have games on Saturdays, and then juice boxes and Rice Krispie treats to follow. Now, suffice it to say... I'm there for the Rice Krispie Treats. You're not going to learn how to play soccer on a Wednesday and then show up like Pele on Saturday. It just doesn't work that way. And so I find myself often totally confused about what's going on out there. But hey, it's six-year-olds. How do six-year-olds play soccer? 
The ball goes flying around the field. All the six-year-olds go running to where the ball is. You follow it around in a big group and try and knock each other over and eventually get the ball into the goal. You guys know six-year-old soccer. Here's what happens. Two six-year-olds collide and they kick the ball at the same time. And for the first time ever, we watch this happen as a group of young men. The ball goes flying straight up in the air. And to my little six-year-old mind, I think that thing is like 70, 80 feet up. I don't know why I did this. But as the ball reaches its peak in the air, I scream the words, I got it! Instantly, every six-year-old, there's a circle of six-year-olds around me, facing me from every single direction. They're looking, and they form the circle. I'm in the circle. The ball is above me. It's now reached the stratosphere, and it's going to start coming down. And my plan, as the ball is up there, is I'm going to hit the ball with my head, because that's what I think you're supposed to do in a situation like this. Hit the ball with my head, bump the thing in the air. The ball goes flying. I'm going to be a hero. Now, here's what happens. As the ball is up at the top of its peak and it starts coming down, I notice that the forces of gravity are kicking in and the ball is in fact picking up speed. And so the ball starts coming and then all of the sudden my mind betrays me because as this ball is coming down, all of a sudden I go, oh no, what if I miss this ball? I mean, you've been there, right? Oh, what, ooh, what, if, what if I hit this? What if I hit the ball and it hurt? What if I miss the ball and people see me miss the ball? This is my chance. you got to hit Matt. You've got to hit this ball with your head because you just said, I got it. Everybody now expects you to got it. And this is your responsibility to your team. What if the ball hits me? What if I miss my... I've never hit the ball with my head before. Why am I looking up at this ball? What if the ball hits me in the nose? I get a nosebleed. I start crying because the ball hit me in the nose and then everyone laughs at me. By this time, the ball is 10 feet from me. I'm so overwhelmed with thought. All I could do is scream, Yeah! and I duck and I cover in the middle of this group of six-year-olds and I miss my moment. And it was the first time I can remember seeking the approval and the opinions of others ever causing me to stumble. And that was not the last time. We're talking about people-pleasing today. We're talking about breaking free from seeking the approval of others. Because, listen, there's a lot of external things that will make you exhausted in this world. That's why we've been talking Sabbath and schedule and rest and rhythm. But if we are honest, come on guys, there are internal things in you and in me that can drive us to places of exhaustion. And if we're not on top of those things, if they're not checked by the power of God, His Spirit in the Word, they can drive us into deep places of exhaustion. The Bible comes straight after, comes straight after people pleasing and seeking the approval of others. In the Proverbs, you get this verse. It says, the Proverbs says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The word snare there is mokesh. Mokesh, it either is like a noose around the neck of an animal. Or, you guys ever see that thing when they put this in the bull's nose 
and, and you, you, you come on, the nose ring that's in the livestock and it pulls the bull around. That's what they're saying. When you struggle with the approval of others, when you're living your life in fear of what other people may think of you or see of you, you're living like an animal being pulled around by the snout. Now, let's do some hard work here, okay? Let's get the hard part of the message over with, okay? The hard part of every single message is when you have to take a good look in the mirror and admit that this isn't just for them, but this might be actually something that's in your life. So I've got this quiz. We're going to do the people-pleasing quiz. It's a true or false, and, and you're going to have to answer the questions on behalf of you, not the person you came with, not like, haha, that's really, no, you. I want you to sit down in this for a second and answer these true-false questions. True or false? I have left a conversation and replayed in my mind what I wish I would have said. True or false? I've ended up doing things I did not want to do because I could not say no. True or false? I become nervous in situations where I may receive feedback or constructive criticism. True or false, I've told a white lie to save face. I'm so glad this is none of you guys. It's going to be easy. True or false, I can point to times in the past where I ended up exhausted because I didn't want to let others down. Go to my proverb really quick, Luke. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. The fear of man is guaranteed to lead to exhaustion. Here's the deal. If you answered true, that was pass-fail. So if you had one or more truths on this, seeking the approval of people or people-pleasing is a part of your life. If you got one, okay, so if you had any truth, I'm not going to say what it means if you were true to all of them. We'll just pray for you after service. But, but here's the deal. If you had any truths, then this idea that the Seeking to approve other people or please other people is a potential snare in your life. I, I learned from this pastor named Derwin Gray. He's an incredible former NFL player and now a church planter and pastor in South Carolina. And he said, when you seek to please people, you always end up tired. But tired is his acronym. Here's the deal. First and foremost, seeking people's approval is tiring. Because the second that I decide or the second I fall for that little trap or that snare or that bait that tells me I've got to please you, I just picked up a part-time job. I got to do me. I got to do my responsibilities. I got to do the places I'm supposed to go. I got to take care of what's on my plate, my family, my calling, my kids, whatever's going on. And then everywhere I go, I've got this other job. I got this other part of my brain where I got to make sure not only this thing's happening, but all of these people are seeing it happen, making sure they know I'm capable, making sure they're happy. I've got to monitor. Are they smiling? Was that, what, what did that text message mean? Did they, did they really say that? Or should I call them? Should I not call them? And I end up having to do twice as much work at whatever I do because I'm not only doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm managing the opinions of others. Uh, Tired, tired, T-I. I is increased by my desire to belong. 
People pleasing starts from a good place. We, were, we have a God-given desire to belong. We want to belong in a family. We want to belong to community. We want rich relationships. But here's the deal. If that desire to belong is not first filled by Christ and healthy Christian community, keyword healthy Christian community, it will drive us places we don't want to go. Come on, how many people? Hey, let's do an actual show of hands. Let's do an actual show of hands. How many people know someone that stayed in a bad relationship way too long? How many people know somebody in a bed, friend, cousin, somebody so done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why was that? They had a desire for belonging, but that desire took them places. This is why kids who grow up in areas with violent gangs, they see it. They watch how it never works out for people, but they're still tempted to join the violent gang because they want to belong. People pleasing is rooted in idolatry. Listen to idolatry really quick. Idolatry does not mean you have a little statue or figurine at your house that you worship. Idolatry is when we look to something other than Jesus for strength, significance, and stability. Anytime I trust something or someone other than Jesus for strength, significance, or stability, that's an idol for me. And here's the problem with idols. Anything we serve like that other than Jesus will eventually enslave us. Look at anyone who looks to career for strength, significance, and stability. That career will eventually become their God. Look at the 17-year-old girl who looks to the 17-year-old boy for strength and significance and security. And, and I guarantee you it's only a matter of time before that boy is running her life. Because it's an idolatry and it always leads to slavery. People pleasing explains unhealthy behavior. Can, can my pe if you got some years on... Hey, anybody else agree some of my worst decisions came from times I wanted to please other people? The time you bought that thing, the time you wasted that money, the time you went to that place, the time you went too far. Didn't it come from when you were trying to impress others? And finally, people-pleasing is determined by the whims of others. And this is how we end up tired. When, when, I, when I build a life on seeking the approval of others, I am now serving a moving target. Because people change. Their opinions change. What they think of me changes. What they want from me changes. And if I have built who I am and my calling and what I'm doing and what I'm here for and all of that stuff on the opinions of other people, I am now that bull being, oh my gosh, is that what you need from me this week? Okay, is that, you're good? Okay, you're, I, I, you approve? Okay, oh, thank you. Wait a second. Now it's, oh, you needed, you needed this from me? Oh, okay, all right, I got you. I got you. Wait, not to mention those three other friends and they want you to be this thing over here because this is what really makes them happy and you end up exhausted and tired because people's opinions are a moving target and if you want transformation, and you want change, you've got to build your life on something else. And you guys, this one's simple today. 
I, I struggled in message prep this week because I was like, how can I make this like, what's the unique spin that I could put? How do I, how do I, you know, because here, do you know the answer if for all of us who struggle with people pleasing? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the simple truth that God saw me in my sin, shame, failure, and rebellion. And He loved me so much that He sent His Son to die so I could be called His beloved Son. And I, I think I'm confessing right now. This week, I, I was like, gosh, how could we do this? How could we make, we gotta, we gotta, I could show them and it, maybe if we could make it rhyme, then they'll take the rhyme and it'll work and because it rhymes and they'll go, and, and Jesus like, hey, what do you want me to say to them about you for this people-pleasing thing? Because we could really, we got two weeks left in this thing. We could spin it off. And he was just like, Matt, tell them about me. Tell them I love them. Tell them if that love became real, everything you've ever chased after in your life would fade away and you would hardly call it important because that love is more real than you could ever imagine. Here's the sentence for the note takers. If I want to break free from seeking the approval of others, I must feast on the approval of God that was bought for me with the life of Jesus Christ. That's it, you guys. We could pray and amen this thing, but this passage is so good, i got to show you. In Ephesians, we get this letter that was written by a pastor who was once an evil and arrogant man. And at the peak of his self-righteousness, he had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus and instantly changed everything about his life. Everything he had built his life on, he left behind. Everything he once considered important, he said, is now rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. He sat down in front of a love that permeated every cell in his body, and he had no choice left but to build his entire life on Christ. And so that's what he does, and he travels and he plants churches so much so he's arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was this group of people in a town called Ephesus, and they were a church that Paul had planted, and he's now writing them from prison a letter, and he tells them in this letter, chapter 1, guys, we've witnessed God's master plan of salvation come to earth in Jesus Christ. He's a Messiah. If you underline that word Messiah, that means God has been cooking this up through history. And in this Messiah, there is light and life. And he gets to chapter 2 and he goes, and this Messiah gave up his life so you could be called a child of God. And it was a gift. Keyword gift. He gave this to you. What do you do when somebody offers you a gift? You don't go and earn some money to buy the gift off of them. You receive that gift. And he says, it is a gift that you've received through faith, not by your works or righteousness. So no one can boast. 
And then he goes on and he says, by the way, you're not just saved to sit. You are a masterpiece made by God for a specific work that no one else on this earth can do with their life other than you. And he gets to chapter 3 and he gets pastoral and I get it because I feel the same way about you guys. He tells the Ephesians, guys, I would suffer the rest of my life if you could get Jesus. I don't mind being in jail. I don't mind what this has cost me if you just get Christ. And so then he prays in chapter 3 and he says these words, and for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all, all the fullness of God. Do you know what his prayer is? Do you know what my prayer is? He goes, I pray that you, yes, you, would get how deeply loved you are by God. Now, I tend to hear those words and I say, yeah, but. And almost every Jesus follower I meet has a yeah, but. You are so loved by God. I know, but I just, I haven't been at church as much as, much as I want to be at church because I'm, I'm nervous about this virus and I got some family members at home. And so I know, I know I am, but I kind of got to be where I feel like I'm supposed to be. Paul would say, no, you are loved right here, right now by God. Now, I know I am, but yeah, but like my, my, the things I screamed at my spouse this week were not what I'm supposed to say, but I'm tired and I'm working and there's so much going on and I just, don't know. And I, I got overwhelmed. And he'd say, yeah, 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 yeah. And right there, right now, before you do another thing in Christ, you are loved by God. But yeah, I'm just, I, my spiritual disciplines have been sliding. And I know I'm supposed to be in the Word and be doing all these things. And Paul would go, no, 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 no. You don't understand me. I pray that you would understand how holy and fully you are loved by God. You guys, here's the, I haven't even gotten to the good part. Did you know this passage has an Easter egg in it? You guys know Easter eggs, right? You know, like in Disney Pixar, they're dropping all kinds of hints and clues and all this crazy, crazy stuff. Do you know them? Here's a, this is, this is, this is free, okay? This is in addition to, to this amazing sermon you're getting. I'm going to tell you the latest Pixar Easter egg, okay? In Monsters, Inc., in 2001, you guys, 2001, this is the scene. And... They're doing a police report and so all kinds of chaos is happening in 2001 in Monsters, Inc. And the pink monster reports, reports that out of nowhere, a young baby teleported in to their universe, shot lasers out of his eyes, and in a blink of an eye, disappeared. And in 2017... Incredibles 2 comes out featuring a baby named Jack-Jack 
who teleports and shoots lasers out of, is, am I the only one blown away by this? If you think that's an Easter egg, wait till you see this. Paul is begging, go to the next one for me, Luke. He's begging God and he's praying for these people. What? I pray that you'd grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. Did you see it? That's crazy, isn't it? I know, like, that is the Easter egg of all Easter eggs. Like, he prayed that you would guess how, how wide and how long and how high and how deep. That is insane, right? Like, that is worth the ticket. You were like, I woke up this morning so I could come in and be blown. Hold on, you didn't get the Easter egg? I pray that you would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus follower, I pray you would never forget that the, that the center of this entire thing is a God who loved you so much, He gave His one and only Son's life so you could be called a child of God. Not as you should be. Not after you've cleaned things up. Yes, you right now. I remember the time leading up to the arrival of our third baby. We were, you know, had the two girls, two years apart. People were kind of, hey, you're going to do one more? Are you going to do one more? I'm like, sure, yeah, we'll do one more. Hope it's a boy, you know, the whole thing. Hope it's healthy. God blessed us with a child, flat out full on. We were just blessed to have a child. I, I, that's before everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, two girls. I'm like, what are we going to do with Philip? The next one's a girl. Then it's just me and these ladies. And God, would you just please? And you know how it works. And then all of a sudden, we get our one and only son. And I'm not over that. Because here's the deal, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you came from, or what you mean to me. I'm not going to send him to be murdered for you. But the love of God is so outlandish. He saw you where you are. He saw you as you are. He sent his son to earth with you in mind with me in mind, to be tortured, to be betrayed, to be abandoned, and to be murdered because of my sins, because of my shortcomings, because of my failure, and yours.
Paul says, I pray that you would get that. I pray that that would be real to you. I pray that you would be obsessed with it. I pray that, that it would become a spiritual reality from which everything else you do flows. And I pray that it would set you free because this is in fact the truth. And the truth is in fact what sets us free. Now, uh, if, you're a, if you like to take the pictures of the notes, go to the next one for me. I mean, you can take a picture of Bear if you want because he's cute, but... Robert McGee wrote this incredible book called The Search for Significance. And it's an incredible piece on the way that our desire to impress others and then performing to earn our worth in Jesus' eyes come together to create all kinds of anxiety and chaos in our lives. And in my journey, this book was huge and it set me free in a number of ways. But McGee, uh, a pastor and counselor himself, would talk about being in prayer circles with Christian people and he would hear them say things like, God, I just thank you for loving sinners like us. And he would go, nice prayer, terrible theology. Because in Christ, you're not a sinner like you. In Christ, you're redeemed and beloved. So much so it feels scandalous. So much so you're like, that's too good to be true. I must have gotten away with something. But he said, when you get the love of God, it would begin to transform you so much so that you would see yourself not as damaged goods who kind of got a little Jesus on top and is waiting to go to heaven one day, but as restored, renewed, and redeemed. And he does this unique thing in his book where he just walks through grace passages and then asks some questions about them to make sure that the message of the grace of God does in fact sink in. And so I just have this excerpt and these passages and these questions that I'll read to you. He says this in Psalm 103, As far as the is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us and he says what happens to our transgressions Matthew 26 he says this is Jesus for this is the blood of the covenant which I poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins and he says why was Christ's blood shed John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one begotten or his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What's the promise again? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but passes out of death into life. What is the promise to the person who believes? In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And what? No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Who can snatch you out of Jesus' hand? Let me cut to the chase. He would go on with tons of passages and questions, and eventually get to Romans chapter 5. And he pauses and he gets to these words, and these are, this is Paul writing Scripture in the book of Romans. And it says, For if we were God's enemies before Jesus, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, Shall we be saved through his life? Now, here's what you got to get. 
A lot of the forgiveness passages are legal in their nature. This passage is relational in its nature. In, in other words, God did not just forgive you because He's God, and if He doesn't, the whole story ends up bad. God forgave you through His Son, and now He likes you. He likes your company. He likes your laugh. He likes being with you. When you open up your word and you spend time with Him, He enjoys that time. He likes your creativity, your ideas, your life. And He takes great joy in simply walking with you as you walk with Him. You've been reconciled. means you're not just this forgiven one waiting for heaven one day, but here and now you are a friend of God. And when that grows real, the pressure to impress evaporates. In the light and power of the love of Jesus, the pressure to perform for others cannot stand. So what do we do with this? Well, we'll go back to Ephesians and we're, we're going to listen to how Paul ends this little section in Scripture, this prayer. He says, I pray you may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. And here it is, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What do we do with this? Paul says, my prayer is that one, you would see this love. But two, you would be filled by it. It's the word picture of being filled up to overflowing. This, this my friends, is our weapon against people pleasing. It is that we would be so full of the love of God that it would come spilling out over the edges of our life. It is that we would be so full. Clean freaks are just dying right now and I love it. Wait, wait, this for you. The, 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 here's the deal. If this is my heart and I stay full of the gospel, there's no room for the approval of other people. When my heart, when, when I take my cup to Jesus every morning and say, would you fill this? Would you fill it with your love? Would you remind me of who I am? Would you tell me how much I matter? Would you remind me yet again of the lengths you went to? Would I remind myself of these things? When I'm full like this, there's no room for people pleasing anymore. This is our offense and our defense in the kingdom of God. I grew up uh, after I retired from soccer because that was going nowhere. Uh, I switched from that to wrestling. And in wrestling, there's this move called the three-quarter stack. Okay, it's like a pin you would do in wrestling. Okay, just, just go with me. It'll, it'll make sense in a minute. 
And the move is so good. Like, you get someone in the three, three-quarter stack, it's barbecue chicken. Like, you won, you're good, you're on your way. And so you do the stack, it's great. And then inevitably, around eighth grade, some kid asks the coach, hey, coach, how do we get out of the three-quarter stack? And every coach who's worth a darn in America will tell you the exact same answer. You don't get in it in the first place. You know how we overcome people-pleasing? You stay so full of the love of God as it's expressed through Jesus Christ that there's no room for those thoughts in your heart. You stay so full of God's unconditional love That those thoughts, those pressures, they have no space anymore. That you would drink from the gospel, that you would feast on the approval of Jesus and become free in the process. So as Jesus says, I'll give you rest, this is what he meant. He meant I've come to free you Oh, not just from sin, not just from death. I've come to free you from having to chase the opinions and the approval of others. That's the space where real rest is found. So I want to invite you guys to stand up with me. We're going to do something unique. We're just going to enjoy a moment together. So go ahead and stand. We're going to finish with the song. But... Here's the truth. You know, just as well as I do, there's a world waiting out there with work and with people and with things you have to do and places you have to be and all that stuff. And before going back into that world, we're going to enjoy a moment together where we can rest and we can feast on the approval of God in our lives. So this song we're going to move into has these words, I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. And so I'm inviting you to put all of that aside, all the pressure, all the thoughts, ideas, and opinions. And together we spend the next five minutes resting in those promises right now. We're going to do that song and then I'm going to come up and pray. I'm going to pray for you specifically if you're going through this and specifically if today's the day you want to answer that call, you want to feast on the goodness of God. So let's move into this song together.